In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mark face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the everybody i'm chad bokelman i'm mark marble and this is the lantern cast episode 223 lantern cast quarterly quarterly number two <laughs> barely fitting it in the second quarter but at least we're on target that's right that's right um you know it i think you know sometimes in some of these episodes we we kind of want you know uh, for the for the green lantern 75th anniversary we, we want them to be very celebratory of uh of uh of green lantern history and you know it's it's kind of twofold you know um we we did wanted to do this episode because we said we do this once a quarter randomly uh so like mark said just under the wire and plus what better way to celebrate green lantern's history than with a essentially a book about the history of green lantern <laughs> and of course the main story the biggest story featuring Alan Scott, of course, who's technically is the 71st anniversary boy. That's right. That's right. Uh, we wanted to get just a quick note. Uh, me and Mark just talked about it uh, off air. Just a quick note. Sorry, this is a little bit late, guys. Had some personal stuff go on in terms of uh, my housing situation after I'm out of the apartment I'm in right now. Everything kind of collapsed on me last minute, so I had a lot of things to take care of, and I still do. Um, but at the time we had set to record uh, this episode, that was the same day everything came crashing down around me. So I was kind of in full-on panic mode, no absolute, <laughs> no time or mental capacity to actually record. So I apologize that this is a little bit late, um, but hey, it's we're getting it to you. <laughs> And plus, you had no Wi-Fi signal when you were living in the van down by the river. <laughs> in a van, Circa Day Rio. Oh, fat guy in a little coat. Uh, anyways, uh, this is Green Lantern Corps Quarterly, uh, uh, issue number two. Uh, it features an awesome cover. Uh, not quite sure who the cover artist. Oh, uh, Dusty Abel and Terry Austin on the cover here. Um Featuring uh, Green Lantern, Alan Scott, uh, Battle of Wills across the front. It says, also in this issue, Nort meets the Black Hole in the Wall gang, plus the history of Sector 2814, and much more. But Mark, you're going to go ahead and get us started on the first stories, right? I will do my best. <laughs> so we, we'll we see what we get out of this, folks. We, we make no promises. And again, this is, uh, we're both doing this digitally, right? Yes, uh, I am. I am. Uh, you're looking at JPEGs. I'm looking at a CBR file. Yes. So we'll 
I'm getting a little more used to this now, so I don't, I don't think it really makes much of a difference. But I like still, I'm still like putting the disclaimer on about how if, if there's any delay from page to page, or it's usually because it's having to zoom in and other things. So the title page is the Book of Answers, and Gerard Jones is the writer, M.D. Bright the pencil, uh, penciler, Romeo Tanga is the inker, and as you mentioned, Dusty Abel and Terry Austin did the cover. We have Hal uh, coming before the Guardians, or just basically the Guardians' floating heads, <laughs> which I kind of like because almost all the Guardians on the left look like they have the, a combination of Albert Einstein and porn star mustaches, even <laughs> though it's just a shadow of their lips. But it, does kinda, but it definitely looks like a mustache on some of those guys, doesn't it? <laughs> watch it, watch it, watch it. <laughs> so Hal's before the Guardians, and, you go, and he's basically bringing a defeated evil star, you know, before them saying you know they were in a science cell once he was and it held him hopefully it'll hold it again and he's, he was kind of he's basically they are looking for a hint because he's trying to get a, a whole bunch of other criminals escape from science cells because we know that's never happened before or after <laughs> and he's asking it happened in green lantern 28 and he's asking for you know can you kind of point me in the direction of where the other criminals are and the guardians are pretty much uh flip on the bird and it kind of throws Hal off, and it's like, you won't even help me to look for them? And it goes, it may be that we've already found them, but either way, it's like, you know, our our omni- you know, omni- omniscient abilities, eh, we try to use them sparingly in other Guardian crap. And he goes, and the Guardians just go to Hal, you know, it's like, you would understand us, Hal Jordan, then serve us and learn. Or find new masters. What's really interesting about all these uh, quarterlies so far is in a lot of way they're just here to Seemingly, there's a, it's like a big ad for other titles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, Especially it, this one. Yes, but last one I don't think was I don't think there was much different last one because they they I think they were pushing the Guy Gardner solo book and they were pushing Mosaic and that one too. Besides Green Lantern, so basically the Guardians are talking about finding new masters and that's referring to the Dark Stars uh, created by the Controllers. So on sale next month. That's right. Well, as Chad mentioned, one of many product placements for Green Lantern <laughs> issues and t- series that are going on. Actually, the second, the second one, the first one being see Green Lantern. Yeah, 28. Green Lantern Twenty Eight. That's <laughs> right. But at least that's not like, not like pushing a brand new series or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so the house just steps up and he goes, "No, hey, I, I have no intention of leaving." You know, and, I, and just like I guess you have no intention of answering my questions. And the guardians just, you know, they just, they just kind of flip Hal the bird. It's a go, you know, go Hal Jordan. Your task is, is completed, and your audience is done. And of course, Hal's like, "Man, a good day to you too, masters. You blue bastards." <laughs> so Hal flies off, uh, not really happy, and kind of something which, as we know, in many ways, pays off down the road with Hal just thinking to himself, you know, if it wasn't for my sense of duty and my loyalty to the core, you know, that's about the only thing that's keeping me here. Certainly not the Guardians. So Hal needs some inspiration, so he flies off to the Book of Owa, which of course we saw everything revolves around that in the core quarterly. We saw that in the first uh, issue that we reviewed. So Hal shows up to find uh, Jon Stewart, of all people, there too, and he's in meditation mode, you know, Hal, of course, comes and interrupts. <laughs> hey, John, you're looking for tips on how to make a better mosaic? <laughs> Product placement, what was that, number three? <laughs> Even though they don't give you an issue number then, but that's coming up in a second. 
So John Stewart kind of like his concentration is broken and he goes, just looking for some answers, Hal. And says, hey, oh, by the way, have you heard that Chip died? <laughs> just kind of comes out randomly. Chip died. He's like, Hal, he was, pos- I, I, I was out of control, Hal. I was possessed by the soul of Sinestro, which is kind of funny. It's almost like a parallax before parallax situation. That's two panels. See Green Lantern Mosaic number two. Next, see Green Lantern Mosaic number three. And in a second, <laughs> see Green Lantern Mosaic number four. But I love how they have fun with it later on. They're like, listen, yeah, you like, really, really just should guys. be reading. Yeah. You really should just go read Mosaic. <laughs> so, And of course, kind of like a turnabout is fair play foreshadowing. Hal c- confronts John and goes, how do, how do I know that? How do I know you're, you're seeing things straight now? It's like, uh, you it's like you said that mosaic stuff is weird and crazy, and it's like you sit up there all alone. It goes, and and John doesn't help his cause by going, "I'm not all alone, Hal. I'm part of a community." And I I even gave, I even sit up there with uh, four kids who I've given power rings to. And this is the aforementioned. Listen, you really should be reading Grand Green Lantern Mosaic. This is from number four. Ah, <laughs> uh, you gotta love it, you know. So. The whole idea of kids having power rings just pisses off Hal. And he goes, John, you know, I want you to be a great Green Lantern. I've always looked out for you, even when you were crippled by guilt. And John says, hey, I'm not, I don't have any guilt anymore, Hal. I don't need you looking out for me anymore. You know, I'm finding my own way to be a Green Lantern on my own world. And basically, isn't that why we're both here at the Book of Oa to both learn how to be uh, better Green Lanterns? So, he goes, let's learn, and he creates an emerald hand that turns the page. So that begins our first story, which is an, an Alan Scott story. Woo! Woo! Birthday boy. Impossible cape is impossible. <laughs> and the title is Where There's a Will. Roger Stern is the writer. Uh, Dusty Abel, who did the cover, is the penciler. And Steve Mitchell is the inker. And we see a, a little scene from a, a flashback in you know, summer in the 1940s, and Alan Scott's flying around, and you kind of, and they're kind of, you have and people are like looking up in the air, and they're all happy, and and basically what we find out on the next page is this is from, this <laughs> is kind of funny. It's like as Alan, as they kind of mention themselves, it's like uh, between him and. When Alan's talking to, to his wife Molly, there it's like uh, you 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 know you you know you're old when PBS is doing a retrospective on you or you show <laughs> up in one. So what happens is this is just footage from a retrospective on, a, on Alan Scott in the 1940s, and it's Alan, his wife Molly, and Jade, and Todd, otherwise known as Obsidian. They're all sitting around, basically having family time. And basically, we get a few we get a few moments of flashback time with uh, Molly's days as Harlequin, and you know, just mentioning how Alan Scott continued being a hero after you know World War Two ended and all this stuff. And just by the way, guys, that's Harlequin, not Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn. Yes, Harlequin, not Harley <laughs> Quinn. Um, we get a nice little. Nice little excuse to bring in Solomon Grundy, of course, which with Jenny Jade going, you know, I know how brutal he can be, but I, but I kind of felt sorry for him. He was kind of like a child. <laughs> and Alan Scott's like a child, yes, but not at all like you. It's like you and Todd grew into fine young people, which, of course, might be true for Jade back in the day for the most part. But Obsidian was kind of shaky or became shaky. But that 
but Alan's little thought bubble there about how great his kids turned out to be kind of grew into a little seeing Jade and Obsidian in their in their uniforms at the time, and you now they still continue with you know showing of uh, scenes from Alan, from Alan's past, but as a member of the Justice Society, you know, fighting Icicle, who kind of looks like the Green Goblin there, doesn't he? Yeah, he kind of, especially that the way is not just a little bit about his ears and the way the hat's kind of flipped over on its side. It kind of looks almost like Green Goblin esque. While this is going on, we see someone else who is watching this uh, little retrospective, sitting in a room all by himself, and it's our old friend Hector Hammond, <laughs> who is not gigundaloy, gigandaly, and all these other made up words to say huge. His head hasn't quite gotten to that uh, point yet, but he's still a little, he's still got a big noggin on him, but not but not like in current continuity. The last time we saw him, so basically he's he's getting up you know he's getting upset about this because he just hates he's another one who's always you know because of his own dealings with Hal and Green Lanterns in general he doesn't want to hear about praises of any gener of any Green Lantern even the first generation one and. This continues basically his quest for like a power ring, which we find out, and we see a little flag again with Alan Scott. We find out about you know his you know kind of like his sidekick, and we see Charles Doiby Dickles is mentioned in this issue, and that becomes important because we find out now watching a news broadcast that. Which, what, what, what are we supposed to take? That's like jumps ahead in time, right? Yeah, because it's not yeah, the same probably. scene anymore. That shortly thereafter, uh, the, the time of them watching this, you know, PBS retrospective, uh, like a day or so later, they they were, you know, Doiby Dickel's death is, you know, is reported. And that just, here's another, another plug for Green Lantern 19 <laughs> that, you know, Molly goes, oh my God, I just saw him a few weeks ago. It doesn't seem possible. And, and Alan doesn't, Alan doesn't quite want to believe it, and a little bit more than that, I think Alan has a has a feeling that something about this doesn't sound right. So Alan, you know, basically goes, "I got to get to the bottom of this," and he goes into his his study, and he finds his Green Lantern battery, and he and he says his oath, and he powers up his ring, and Alan goes off to try to find what exactly is going on. So he goes up, he basically shows up at the coroner's office to. Because he needs for peace of mind to confirm that the body really in the drawer is Doiby, and he opens he opens it up, and unfortunately, yes, and it appears that it is. And Alan says, you know, he will be avenged, and we get a nice little panel of Alan wearing an incredibly wrong Green Lantern ring. Uh, well, wrong for Alan. <laughs> if it was some, if it was Hal or somebody else, you could, but it's not a Green Lantern. He's wearing a core ring. Let's put it that way, not his. His uniquely shaped lantern ring, but as soon as you know he says about you know I won't I, I, I swear I won't rest until at that moment his ring starts acting funky and his ring basically starts being taken over by an outside force and is trying to fight him and we and Alan Scott kind of like you know, he fights it with all you know his willpower but he kind of wakes he kind of wakes up and he's kind of like floating in a almost like a like almost like an ethereal plane kind of place or that's the way it's kind of drawn and he gets you know someone's talking to him he doesn't know who it is and of course Hector 
Hector Hammond back in his original, like his original normal look shows up talking to, uh, I like this part. I am Hector Hammond. You may call me Mr. Hammond. <laughs> what, what an arrogant douche. <laughs> It's like, I've had quite a bit of experience battling your successors, the younger, more able Green Lanterns. I would have been able to, you know, I would have overcome them long ago if not for their power rings, which is like no shit, right? And you really think about it. Of course, you'd be able to overcome almost a lot of every superhero if they didn't have their powers, potentially. But now you see, you see, uh, Hector basically wearing, supposedly wearing Alan's Green Lantern ring and he starts, and he starts wielding the energy and, you know, he basically says, "I'm gonna. Uh, I'll. I'll try not to make this too painful for, for you, old man, as I finish you off." And he because starts. He starts taunting Alan. It's like, "Whatever possessed you to come out of retirement? Were you so desperate to regain the thrills of youth?" Yada yada yada. You know, and as he tries to basically vanquish and get rid and kill Alan, Alan fights him. Is it's like uh, nobody takes my ring without a fight. You know, this is a basically it's a battle. It's a battle and a matter of will, isn't it, Mister Hammond? You know, and Alan Scott, you know, turns the tables on him. He's he's able to get the ring back on his finger, and he basically goes does the old. Oh, I was just playing possum routine, just to basically make you to feed uh, Hector Hammond's ego. Um, then Alan kind of reveals why well, I know about you too, because you know. Hal and the other, the younger lanterns pretty much filled me in on uh, who the hell you were. So we see Hector Hammond in his misshapen current state, as in current at the time of this issue, uh, the way he looked with his slightly oversized head. And and, and his growing baldness, which Alan Scott's the first one to... <laughs> when they're fighting, he kind of makes fun of him there. It's like, uh, at, least I've, at least I've kept most of my hair. <laughs> Like oh that Alan Scott kick kick a man <laughs> kick a man when he's down, but uh, Hector Hammond keeps fighting Alan because he's basically is starting to use some of he's with his mental abilities he's you st- still be able to usurp and you s- siphon off some of Alan Scott's ring energy and, and use it against him. So they have this big splash page which is pretty cool, which is Alan Scott. I like the close ups of their face there. That's a pretty cool panel. It's really nicely drawn. And Alan Scott and Hector go at it. And Alan says, you know, I don't care how strong your mind is. The ring recognizes me. It'll, you know, mine is the will it obeys and I'm cutting your power off. And at that moment, Alan Scott basically, boom, he returns back to the to the coroner's office. He, he looks down at the slab and we find out that it really wasn't Doiby there at all. It was it actually was it's Hector. And he created this uh Basically, this holographic projector, which supposedly was able to make him look like Doiby. I'm not quite sure how cool that is. I mean, how it's cool, but I don't know how believable it really is. It seems kind of convenient. And then, you know, after the fact, you know, uh, Alan, excuse me, he wraps us, you know, he wraps up the story with Jade and Molly and Todd again, talking about uh, filling in the gaps of, of what just happened, you know, how, what he went with went through with Hector and you know Alan throws out hey you know where there's a will there's a way and then Jenny throws in the you know you know what you know what's a better moral for the story never under and never underestimate a crafty old tiger and of course they had shown a tiger a few panels earlier using the holographic uh, machine of Hector Hammond the projector no, no they're at the zoo are they at the zoo mm-hmm. oh yeah they are at the zoo duh zoo I'm sorry so the 
but that, but the so let's let's back that up for a second. So the uh, so the, they're at the zoo and they see this, and they're looking down at the tigers, and that's when after. Alan makes his little where there's a will is a way comment and that's when that's the reason Jenny says never underestimate a crafty old tiger and that ends that story so Jenny with the, red Jenny with red lips freaks me out yeah it really doesn't work mm. so that's that story sorry about the butchered ending no worries I kind of thought for a minute that this was uh, because it I didn't know that this was Hector until Hector himself showed up. I thought it was when I saw the cover, but but at first I thought I thought maybe it kind of almost could be Sinestro, but you look at the head, it's like no, it's not quite shaped right. So it's like I thought I was hoping it was Hector. Let's put it that way. When I got into the story, I was hoping it was going to be Hector. Well, I wasn't really paying attention to the background of the story. I was more looking at this page right here, where this guy you only see his eyes and he's in the chair and everything. It says, to the criminal mastermind known as the wizard. And then it cuts to this. So I thought this was the wizard. Right. Yeah. It, you could you could obviously, yeah. If, you've, if you're reading it, the, you could actually take it that way until you realize it's just more narration that's actually continuing as soon as uh, you know, it cuts over to the next part of the panel. with The recent return of Green Lantern along with you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's when you realize that it's just more the narration of the, doc, of the documentary and it just, which is feeding Hector's pseudo rage there i like the black and white panels especially the one with uh alan and harlequin yes i like those flashbacks too those are really well done and if you notice uh in the screens in hector's house or whatever some of those images right there are actually just miniaturized versions of what you see in the other black and white panels yes that is true yep so that's, that's, that's true. pretty cool um, really like the more uh, close-up, detailed shots of Alan. Uh, like he looks fine as uh, as Green Lantern in some of the smaller panels, but in the bigger panel where you see a full body shot of him flying up as he's going to the coroner's office, that's a really good shot. Um, like you said, the the picture of his face uh, that's really cool. Uh, I'll be using that as the background, one of the background images for this uh, episode's uh, album art. Um, one glaring plot hole, though, at the very end. I don't have much to say about this uh, storyline otherwise. Uh, but what happened to Hector? <laughs> like, that is clearly Hector. It's not a body double. Hector is a little paralyzed. So he somehow put himself in there. What happened to him afterwards? Did they just leave him in there? Did the cops come and get him? Did he go to an asylum? Did he tell, like, <laughs> did... <laughs> uh, they don't even say what happened to Hammond, like, mentally. Did his did he put him in a coma or something with a mental attack? Like, is is Hammond lying there awake, fully conscious, and able to strike, or is he? I think unfit? we know he's not awake. His eyes are his eyes definitely appear. They definitely appear closed on the second cl panel when he's talking when Alan's talking about the holographic projector. You yeah, can, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, they don't he, say anything about what happens to Hammond. It's like, well, uh, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> Put him on ice. Well, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> How about you just close that freezer door and we, and we forget all about this? <laughs> uh. All right. Anything else? That was a fun story. It was good seeing Alan fight a kind of a Hal villain. That was kind of cool. For sure. All right. Two-minute warning? Two-minute warning. 
Two-Minute Warning by Mark Wade and Ty Templeton, inks by Al Gordon, colors by Anthony Tallinn. Uh, we open on a planet called, uh, well, we actually don't know. Um, it's, uh, we're, we're on a planet where a, an arboreal race uh, is an endangered species. It's actually a sentient tree people. Um, well, another um, sentient race on, on this planet periodically harvests uh, the fruits of this arboreal race, which is essentially like a one race eating another race's embryos. So I'm guessing this is like them getting eggs. Um, and it's indifferent to the fact that these are sentient creatures, uh, and it's marketed as an intergalactic delicacy. So the Guardians of the Universe see this problem and decide, well, let's send a rookie over there. So they send a rookie down there to take care of it, uh, he promptly gets run over by the uh, the tractor thing, the automated tractor that's sent to do this. The yellow, um, the yellow tractor. <laughs> yellow tractor. Somehow he survives this. Uh, where Chip couldn't uh, run left, Chip. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, anyways, uh, he you know he stands in the jugger the juggernaut, which is the name of this thing, stands in his way, gets run over by the yellow tractor into the yellow sand, pops up. Um, that was his plan A, apparently, to stand in front of it and try and stop it. He is uh, trying to figure out various ways to stop this thing, and it's not working. Because he goes, you know, it's about two minutes from destroying the entire grove. And the ring goes, pipes up and goes, two minutes. He said, that's right, two. What do you, wait, what do you mean two minutes? Ring bearer requested alarm notification at end of 24-hour charge period. 110 seconds until energy depletion. So his ring is about to run out. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> so this is this whole story is a conversation between this guy and his ring, asking him what his ring is capable of doing, and the ring just saying, nope, can't do that. Um, so he his first move is to grab a boulder and throw it into the combine thing, which just chops that up and keeps going. Um, he says, all right, well, let's then recharge. Uh, impossible. The battery is currently beneath, buried beneath the sand, and the sand is yellow. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> he says, all right, what if I use the ring to fly to a different time zone and work from there? That'll give me a whole extra hour. Incorrect. 24 hours relative to the ring's reality will have passed. 60 seconds until depletion. Uh, he puts up a construct wall. That does nothing because it's a yellow tractor. Uh, he then throws out a suggestion that uh, he should go one hour into the past. Uh, Ring says, nope, that's not going to work either. <laughs> uh, reverse the time stream. Turn back time. Impossible. The resultant disturbance would imperil reality. <laughs> Additionally, at this moment, your willpower is insufficient. Oh, that's it. Pick on me now. <laughs> uh, he says, I'm dying here. And the ring says, impossible. The ring protects its wear from mortal harm. <laughs> He's like, all right, well, then create... Another fully charged ring. Impossible. Make yourself really, really big and really, really powerful. Impossible. Go steal the ring from the guy in the next sector. Impossible. Uh, 20 seconds, by the way. Um, uh, you give me 30 extra minutes uh, now and I'll give you a whole hour tomorrow. Impossible. <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite ones right there. Like the, it's like the, like the whole wimpy hamburger thing. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday. <laughs> uh, two hours. Impossible. 10 seconds before depletion. Oh, I've got it. I'm going to take you off my finger and order you to self-destruct in an explosion of emerald energy. Impossible. Under no circumstances are Green Lanterns allowed to bring harm to their equipment. Subnote, the ring cannot be destroyed. <laughs> uh, 
five, four, three. It is completely indestructible. Two. And that's when he says, you don't say. And then he throws his ring into the, the, the combine. And because it's completely indestructible, it blows up the machine. Uh, he celebrates, and of course, uh, the ring is out of charge, so he has to find it himself <laughs> up amidst the wreckage of this explosion. Uh, and uh, that's the end of that story. I, I like when he's sitting there on the ground like, I'm talking to my fist, because <laughs> he's so used to it. <laughs> so used to talking to his ring hand, it's like he's, he keeps looking down at his, his hand. What? Hey, I'm talking to my fist now, because there's nothing on it. <laughs> uh... It was an amusing story. Um, I like the end. Here, boy, talk to me. Hey, I know. The first thing, when I get you recharged, I'll create a rock too big for you to lift. Come on. <laughs> Impossible. Say it for me, baby. Ring? Hello? Ring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that one was pretty good. I like the look on his face. Those two panels right there as it's counting down from five. <laughs> it's completely indestructible and then he looks at his ring like oh <laughs> what'd you just say already then <laughs> yep even though of course since then we know how Green Lantern rings seem to be all too destructible at times <laughs> true but back in the day and it's still like in something yellow so you still wonder if it really would have had that effect I wonder if it's yellow inside that is true too that is another possibility or it could be like the whole school bus thing. Maybe maybe there's something important. Maybe there's a part underneath it that would actually have, wasn't yellow, so that, that that could have been a port of entry. But the but the yellow sand was a problem. So at least that, as opposed to normal dirt, that would have, that that was a potential stumbling block to just let's go into the ground. You notice the closer he gets to the woods, you can see the trees' reaction behind him. They're all screaming. Yeah, they're they're yeah. That's like they almost giving him a high five after he blows the thing up. <laughs> yeah, 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 baby, you saved us. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. <laughs> that is kind of funny. All <laughs> right, you're the best, Waverly Sayer. Yeah, Waverly Sayer. Let's do it. The Lonely Man. <laughs> Daniel Boone lives. A lonely man. A the lonely man. Gerard Jones, writer. Tim Hamilton, penciler. Gary App. That's a nice name. Inker. So we we see a scene of a. Basically, it's in the West, so it gives you the impression. The guy's sitting there on a rock about to hunt. He's got his loyal dog by his side, which is kind of cool because that carries forward throughout the book. Uh, he's, the narration goes about how it's a clean shot, the shot that he could always make before. And, of course, now we see that he, he aims for a deer, and he misses the deer. He goes, now Waverly Sayer cannot make shots he made before, and as a month's venison bounds away... He cannot even care. Nothing like before. Before the loneliness. And then essentially we get, you know, we get, we find out why he's lonely. You know, that is, that his wife and his daughter, correct? Mm -hmm. the end of, he has a daughter, right? Well, she's giving birth. Birth, to right. But uh, his wife, you know, his wife dies during childbirth. And pretty much, you know, that that just destroys his world. They, you know, they basically, you know, they came. They show them coming together, you know, in a wagon. And he was, he was, you know, defended, defended the homestead and, and his family with courage. You know, they show up, you know, a bear attacking previously, but you know, but once, but once his wife died, that pretty much just sucked the life out of him. 
you have a couple of people talking, you know, from a distance looking at Sayer's house going, you know, you know, he rarely ever comes out anymore into the light, you know, since he buried the woman and the baby. You know, he still hasn't cleared his land, hasn't raised a crop. A lonely man. Just one lantern for his company, burning late every night, like, to, to keep the dreams away, burning until it's out. And we when you see, like, a this lantern with tons of holes in it that's hanging outside his log cabin, uh, he wakes, Waverly Weeks wakes up in a, uh, yeah, he wakes up in a cold sweat, crying out for Peg for his wife, and then he sees a, basically an emerald image, uh, image, excuse me, of Peg calling to him. It's like, "Come to us, come to us." And you know, he's completely lost. It's like, you know, how, you know, how can I go to you? And she just basically is trying to get him to follow. And he goes, "I will, I will come, Peg. There's nothing here from you know here for me now." <clears throat> he starts loading his loading his shotgun or his rifle. And, you know, he basically was about to kill himself and he tries to, he talks to the dog and goes, you know, like, I won't take you with me. That's not, isn't, that isn't right. You know, but I can't keep you in here with the door locked either because, you know, there's without anyone to, to feed you, you know, you know basically you'll, you'll starve. So I'm just going to leave the door open and you'll see what you have to do soon enough. And he puts the gun to his chin. And as he's just about to pull the trigger, you know, the, the, the emerald image of Peg shows up again, cradling their baby. And she goes, no, Waverly, we said... We said we wanted you to come to us. It's like and he, he's completely lost. It's like because obviously he thought she she was calling to him from the great beyond, as in you know, kill yourself to come with us. And he, she goes, "No, you'll be no use to anyone that way." Here she go and go, and he's completely lost by this. Then all of a sudden, the green lantern ring flies onto his hand. She's like, "Use your will, use your will," and he's like, "What what are you talking about?" It's like you know. It's like I can, I'll just you know, I can just ask it to take me to where she went, and as soon as he says that, you know, the the ring starts creating basically like a shield around him and his dog, which is a nice touch. And they take them both, you know, they take them both into space. I, I like when he's carrying the dog under his arm; that's pretty cool. <laughs> Lantern in space with dog, his little, his hound dog there. So the ring takes him to you know the, the ring needed. As the narration goes, the, you know, the ring needed will and the will needed courage and the courage pressed him on and on through the cold black void. And he arrives on this really, you know, this really w- pretty weird looking planet with these. That's the one thing you have to say in both these issues so far. Something, they, have, they have some really freaky looking alien worlds we've seen in both these issues of the core quarterly so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Waverly doesn't know what's going on. It's like, I never thought I'd see this, you know, it, you know. In, in the place where Peg went, it's, you know, he basically just follows where he just lets the ring take him where he needs to go. And these re- relatively large headed, almost like Easter Island headed kind of aliens like you have come. You're the one. And of course, Waverly's, you know, being from that time, it's like, you're, you're devils. You know, you're, where's Peg and the baby? And it's like, you mu- you must stop them. You must save us. It's like, I do not understand you, you know. He's saying, you know, the alien saying, you've come to stop the invasion, haven't you? They have killed millions. They, they have killed Green Lantern. They have nearly taken the city. Use your ring. Make them go. And, of course, Waverly doesn't have any idea at first what's going on. And then he just says, use my ring. And then he kind of, you know, he, he leaps into action. I guess instinct takes over. It's like, 
Lord, guide my hand. Give me the strength to use this power truly. And we see him taking out, you know, aliens after aliens. And he stopped, you know, he stops the invasion. It's like the aliens on the planet are thanking him. Thank you, Green Lantern. And of course, he's completely confused by that, by the time being called that title. And then all of a sudden we hear a, a thank you, Green Lantern and a, and a female voice. And of course, you think coming, hitting his voice is still hidden in the shadows. And he thinks it's his wife. It's like, Peg, Peg. It's like, and I do, the alien comes out and she's holding a baby of her own. And she goes, I do not know a Peg, Waverly Sayer. I am Satoon, widow of the Green Lantern of Se- Laham of Sector 2814. As my husband fell, his ring reached across space to find one honest and fearless and able to make this sacrifice. It chose you. He's confused. And it's like, you heard my husband's final thoughts, Waverly. You showed courage in coming here. Now we have the courage to join us, to protect us, to take the mantle of Green Lantern. Now we cut, you know, we cut back to Earth and the same two people that were looking at Waverly's house before, talking about how lonely he was. Now they're kind of, they're surprised. It's like, they're looking at his cabinet and go, he doesn't even use good oil in his lantern. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, didn't you you notice all of a sudden, you know, it's green? And Waverly Sayer is, you know, he's back in his green, on a Green Lantern uniform in his cabin. He's giving the, uh, he's, He's feeding venison to his dog, and he's telling him, "It's like you, it's like you, you better hurry up because it's time for us to step out again and help our friends." As he so, he and the dog are about to leap into more Green Lantern hijinks, and that ends the story. <laughs> I want to hear more about the dog's adventures. I know. Let the dog have a ring. That's right. Well, they do later on. <laughs> Not counting Nort, <laughs> a real dog. <laughs> I like that story. Yeah, the art was kind of funky. Yeah, the art the art was the art was, but I there are some panels that are pretty cool. Like when he's like this, the second time he's saying "use my ring" when he's kind of in shadows and his, the ring's lighting up and the green's kind of highlighting the stubble on his face and kind of defeats the aliens too quick. It's a little too. Well, oh, this is this has definitely got to be the West, but it's it's not Texas because this isn't Texas land or uh, or. Uh, wildlife or uh, foliage so this has got to be in the northwest part of the country yeah i i that's probably what my take on it was too i figured you could, it could be anywhere like even it could be anywhere montona montona that's a new one montana wyoming ish yeah so it was a nice story it was i, li- I liked the way how they tie it into how the you know the when the ring was calling to him basically to make let him be the new ring bearer how basically because the combination of the last you know the last message or the in a way of the current ring bearer in the way and the, what the new ring bearer wants to see or was yearning for and how they all kind of combined so so basically it was his, he saw his wife and his kid calling him which of course mirrored the now widowed wife and child of the uh, current Green Lantern who was calling him. So it was kind of a nice, you know, symmetry there. Mm-hmm. Anything else? No, I think, but it was a fun story though. I thought, again, like you said, the, the artwork is weird. The aliens are really weird looking, but, <clears throat> but it, I thought it was a pretty good, I thought it was a pretty good story. 
So, do we are there more Waverly Sayers stories uh, somewhere else? I don't know. I don't remember. I think so. Hmm. All right. Well, moving on, we have a story uh, for the ages. Um, <laughs> well, the next two are for the ages. The Trouble with Yellow by uh, Doug Mensch uh, is the writer. Paul Gulacy as the artist. Uh, Bob Dvorak as the inks. Steve Matson as the colorist. And Albert de Guzman as the letterer. Uh, we see a Green Lantern hurling down out of the skies towards some robbers. Uh, a citizen, a little boy is, uh, uh, well, a, a little a little creature, uh, a young creature is watching this happen. The Green Lantern sends out some construct uh, handcuffs. One of them shoots him away and escapes with some yellow energy. So uh, he digs out the ground underneath him and puts a green energy construct of a cage on top, sealing him in the pit. They shoot out of that. So he just takes him out with brute force, and then the locals come and take him out. Well, Remus is the name of this Green Lantern, uh, and we see Remus later on in the future during the Sinestro Corps War. Uh, so this is a lantern that's going to be around for a while. Uh, but Remus uh, is, uh, you know, is, is responsible for taking them out. This uh, little creature asks him what his what's the, what's wrong with your power ring. So Remus explains the. Uh, the uh, impurity in the in the ring. Um, uh, he says, you know, the impurity is ironically the very factor which gives the metal its miraculous powers and its ability to interact with consciousness and willpower. Um, he says, uh, you know, there's some who say the guardians and the great wisdom intentionally added the purity, the impurity, and he says, but you don't believe it. He says, I neither know nor care. I simply live with. It's simply reality I live with. And in certain ways, I'm grateful for it since it prevents me from becoming complacent, forces me to be resourceful, to uh, to exert thought and effort. Which kind of sounds like the writer's trying to explain the yellow weaknesses being, you know, like people make fun of Aquaman. He just could blew this. Well, Green Lantern's allergic to yellow. <laughs> you know, the writer's saying... I just kicked his ass with a phone book, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the writer's playing, uh, the writer's playing uh, kind of a Green Lantern fan output here. Uh, and the kid, to which the kid responds, that's crazy, it's a weakness to hold you back. Uh, so he says, but without that weakness, I might fare much worse. Uh, let me tell you about another Green Lantern on another world. So, <laughs> uh, Rima's and the child swallow some acid, uh, <laughs> and they start tripping. <laughs> Hard. Because they come across this uh, planet, uh, it populated by uh, intelligent beings that are basically insects called Krizaks. These are basically little ant-like creatures with very um, anthropomorphic <laughs> uh, cartoony type faces and stuff. Uh, they basically exist to go in a single file line from tree to tree collecting fruit. Um, they do that and you know every now and then uh, a body falls from the sky uh, they ask, you know, well, what's what's that like? Why is your dead, you know, hey, you know, flyer? They call the the flying creatures, flying insects, flyer. Uh, Why'd your your dead plummet on us like that? It's the doing of the horrible, hideous air clinger of doom who traps and devours all the foolish and unwary up there above the green canopy. Uh, the critics, you know, uh, don't really care um, because there's not much they can do about it anyway. One of them says. Hey, anybody seen Circle? It's one of the Krizaks. 
and one of the older uh, Krizak says, probably sleeping off some fermented squish juice under a mushroom. So he's probably drunk, um, is what they're saying. Uh, all of a sudden, some of these cherry things fall from the sky and hit him in the head. They see Skrill, or whatever his name is. Uh, he's got a Green Lantern ring, uh, and he's wearing a, a, a Green Lantern uh, vest. Sweater. Uh, sweater. sweater vest. Sweater vest, yeah, that's uh, so funny. And uh, he's uh, you know chopping down these things with the construct, and they said, you know, knock it off, you're hitting us with this. Well, forget it, we can get our own squish berries. You don't need to help us with this. Um, well, I'm a Green Lantern. How can I make your life better? I know I'll fight crime. <laughs> crime? What crime? Uh, squish berry theft? The trees want us to take their squish, their berries. How, it's how their seeds get bought. And then plop, there's another body of uh, one of the flyers. So this Green Lantern's like, I'm going to take care of that. Um, and he's just like, well, you're just a lonely Krizak. And he's like, what do you know? I've got power. I ain't worried about nothing now. Uh, and Remus is now getting to the point of his story. Chris, this Krizak flies up to the top of the canopy, and it's a spider-like creature. He gets caught in its net and its web because it's a yellow web. He tries taking care of the spider and taking him out. He can't because it's a yellow spider. He's freaking out. He gets eaten, and uh, uh, he, you know, Remus says, but despite all of his vast emerald powers, uh, Circle did get eaten. And I, and I get the point, says the kid, but that ain't a true story. And uh, Remo says, actually, no, the Guardians, in their great wisdom, would never harm a fly or choose a Krizak. But we see a, uh, <laughs> a broken and decayed body of, uh, of this uh, circle or whatever on the ground, leading me to believe that this was a true story, but uh, Remo just didn't want to freak out the kid. <laughs> the colors, man, the colors! Such an acid trip of a story. Yeah, the narrative, the, the narrative, like around the story, I kind of liked. I liked, you know, I liked the artwork for that part, and I liked this, the lesson he, the lesson he was trying to get across to the kid, and also just as you mentioned, the way the writer threw the Green Lantern in the story was try to was using him to justify or explain why the you know why having the yellow weakness is not necessarily a bad thing. In the right. big picture, so I like that part, and yeah, it was the the kind of the kind of like some like almost like Sesame Street kind of art uh, faces on some of the, yeah, I don't know some of that stuff just it was weird. Someone with Jim Henson level ability make us this Krizak. I want to I, I want a Green Lantern Muppet Krizak. <laughs> You want you want a a custom piece. You want a, you want some uh, a commission of him That's and that right. dramatic pose raising his sword. <laughs> That's right. Oh man, <laughs> this yellow sweater with this no pants. No pants. Who needs pants? That's right. The bottom part of himself is yellow too. <laughs> this this thing looks kind of like a Bernstein bear. The kid. Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does. For those who remember, uh, Remus is the lantern who later goes on in the Sinestro Corps War. He goes back to his planet, and his planet is the one that has been wiped out by uh, Despotelis. If anybody remembers that. Oh, Despotelis, what a bastard. And uh, he ends up getting killed by Despotelis as well. That's right, right? That's, like, that's, that's who I, Remus that sounds, is. That sounds right. That's, that's what it's... 
that's what's immediately coming to mind when it said that name. So I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm right, but I can't look it up right now for fear of messing up the Skype connection. <laughs> any for some reason, guys, any internet use whatsoever outside of Skype seems to cause some sort of hiccup in <laughs> in recording <laughs> in terms of like you know like a, a quick cutout or something of the of the audio. So I've just now. Before we record, I shut off the internet on my cell phone, I shut off the internet on my tablet, and I just record from the laptop and have no extra windows open whatsoever. <laughs> he sits in the closet. That's right. <laughs> no light. Yeah, that's, I don't Hoping wa- this, everything just stays on perfectly for like an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, so I can't research anything unless it's before we record. But uh, speaking of uh, great, amazing comedic stories... Uh, we've got a Nort story for you. Oh, God. I'd rather Nort, and that's how I feel about this story. I'd rather <laughs> Nort go through it, but written by Scott Labdell, penciled <laughs> by Joe James, inked by Andrew Papoy. This is, the beginning is kind of cool, though. It's like, uh, at the, at the asteroid, asteroid Angus Finance and Loan Center, <laughs> all these bankers are pretty much packing heat trying to fight off somebody trying to rob them apparently and it's like it's like where's the green lantern we requisitioned it's like these intergalactic bank robbers have been at this it's dawn <laughs> it's like you think they'd be due for a coffee break another one says which is kind of funny and it's like uh, then all of a sudden you hear like a, a wee wee and it's like a the siren, it's the solar perimeter alarm that can only mean the green lantern we asked for is showing up. And this big green bubble crashes, you know, crashes down onto the planet as one of them, as one of the bankers looks up and goes, he, he, he wouldn't disappoint us. He wouldn't, he wouldn't slow down. <laughs> and then boom, <laughs> incoming. And then of course, it's like. Now, now they're all happy. They're, you know, it's like, oh yeah, the Green Lantern we wanted is here. And then they look down to see who's in the, you know, who they got. And it's like, who the hell is that? And of course, we find out that it's Nort with with his new trusty sidekick, Sax Girl, who saved his butt in the last issue of Quarterly with Sax, <laughs> with Sax. And of course, the bank, the bankers, they're all upset. It's like we wanted Hal Jordan. <laughs> Like they, we specifically ordered the Green Lantern of Sector Twenty Eight Fourteen because they wanted Hal Jordan, and instead they got Nort, and that's a big drop off. <laughs> Even though Nort tries to like make them all feel better and goes, you know, rest assured, gentle people, there's nothing Hal can do that I can't at least, or I can't at least as well do, except only slower and different, unique even. <laughs> It's like, we don't mean to slight your abilities. It's just that, you know, that in all the universe, only Hal Jordan has ever physically confronted the black hole in the wall gang. And, of course, as soon as he says that, you know, Nort looks like he just stained his pampers over there. It's like, oh, no. And, of course, the sax girl's already, you know, she's already ahead of the ahead of the game since she's obviously the bright one of the two. And now we see the, you know, the black hole in the wall gang is about to attack. It's like, anyone still alive? Throw out all the money. You know, that is, throw it all out to us. <laughs> and we see uh, Green, La- Green Lantern show up. It's like, oh, it's him. It's Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. Except it's like, 
a Hal Jordan body with a pseudo Hal Jordan face with chip with with chip with, with like Nort <laughs> Nort hair and Nort ears. It's like yeah. And Sax Girl's like trying to whisper to him. I was like, Nort, you, you, you forgot to, to have your ring disguise your ears. And of course, he's still all cocky and he shows up and it's like, uh, you can surrender peacefully <laughs> or alphabetically. I like that one. Or by age. I don't really don't care. Tallest to shortest. I don't care. It's like the, the, the gang goes, you know, I'm afraid it won't be that easy, Mr. Jordan. And another one's going, do you notice something different about this guy? <laughs> It's like it's his ear, sir. It's like no, not that. It's it's something about his demeanor too. <laughs> and of course, that when he says ears, when the alien, the black hole gang member says ears, that's when Nort realizes, oh god, I forgot to disguise my ears. And it's like, uh, yeah, Nort, you know, Nort tries to, you know, tries to bluff his way, th- tries to bluff his way through. And the hole in the wall gang is like, uh, perhaps you've forgotten the last vow I made when last we met, Hal Jordan. (laughs) And of course, Nort being Nort goes, the one where you promised to write once a week? (laughs) The one when you said you'd buy bonds and support the war effort? (laughs) It's like, uh, no. Like, uh, like, said the hole in the wall gang member, like, smacks Nort right in the face. You know, he's still looking, you know, he's he's looking to take out Hal slash Nort there. And then he goes, have you had any sense at all? You'd, you'd roll over and play dead, he says to Nort. And he goes, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> um, the hole-in-the-wall game pulls out the heavy artillery. And it's like, let's put this Green Lantern out of, out of our misery. You know, the banker is like, they're all hiding here talking to Sax girls. Like, you know, well, no, can Nort think of something? And she goes, well, maybe, and maybe the Pope will fly, you know, and just as they're about to shoot, you know, <laughs> Nort cr- creates en- energy, basically energy hands that stick fingers right in, <laughs> right in, the, tri- right in the, the barrel of all the weapons, which is funny. It's like, far to be for me to go pointing fingers, but it seems like you boys were the, have a problem with your guns, that problem being me, which is kind of how Jordan-esque Nort, <laughs> you know, and, and of course, uh, the hole in the wall member says, you know, you have kind of a point there. Hal Jordan's like firearms are, you know, are out. I guess I'll have to do with a psionic mace. And he proceeds to, you know, beat the crap out of, out of Nort with the mace. Um, he's moving in with a psionic blade to finish him. Sax girl sees all this and she goes, you know, she goes, you know, running to save Nort, even if it's primarily on the surface, it's because he's my ride back to earth. But just as the hole in the, the black hole in the wall gang member there is about to uh, stab the Green Lantern, then they see Nort's real self because when he was hit hard, you know, he dropped in on the verge of being killed. His well went down, so his energy lessened and his disguise fell. And now the gang members all look at him. It's like, oh my God, we don't have a chance. We knew his ears looked funny. It's like, we surrender. We surrender. Spare us. And, of course, they all take off their helmets and they all kneel before him. And we find out that the whole gang members are cats. <laughs> and because Nort's a dog, it's like, oh, it's like, we, we, we'll, we'll do anything rather than face your canine might. <laughs> they don't know cats very well, I guess. No. They're writing this story. 
Cats, <laughs> cats will bitch slap a dog with no second thought. I know they have, they have, they have no respect for it. And I love my cats, but they have no respect for anything. And they certainly wouldn't for a dog just because he's a dog. Have you seen uh, those videos, like the compilation video online of the dogs who won't come down the stairs because the yes. cat's sitting right there? Or, 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 and, and forgive us, people, but this is a, these are appropriate tangents almost. Or, or when you have the, the, the cat sleeping in the dog bed and the, and the dog is curled up in this teeny tiny cat bed because he won't go over to get the cat out of the, his own bed. Yeah, cats tend cats do tend to rule the roost when, when they live together. Um, so the bankers are like, Nort, you're amazing! It's like, uh, well, what I have to be sure, but keep it under your hat. And of course, Sax Girl's like, at the end, why do I feel there's going to be no living with him now as Nort continues to sign autographs? <laughs> oh, God. So should we talk about, you want to talk about that one before we do the wrap-up, or? Uh, I mean, there's not much to talk about. You know, there's just a little background things like one of the cat creatures before it takes off his armor is is holding a gun up to the side of his head. <laughs> Another one is crying. <laughs> Can you see that? Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. They're all, yeah, they're all, they're all funny. And the cat and the cats are kind of all different looking and kind of some of them are mangy looking. And it's like, even though. It's, one of them almost looks reminds me of like a commandy esque kind of character, or one of those cat like creatures I had in Commandy. But mm-hmm. it was, it, in a way, the twist kind of made the story worthwhile. And that's hard to say because most Nort stories are like, oh my god. But it it was it was a funny story, but it was still, it makes you shake your head. But uh, the last two stories didn't go out with a bang. No, not really. No, more like a thud. All right. So last it's page. last page. So we have back to John and Hal, you know, looking through the, the story. Basically, we just saw in the book of Oa. He goes, wow, it's my turn to be shocked. I can't believe Alan Scott's back. <laughs> and here's another promo. See Armageddon, Inf- Armageddon Inferno number four. I love and that freaking panel. Next- I love that freaking panel because they're looking at the page of Nort. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, my turn to shock. Yeah, I can't believe yeah, Alan they, Scott. They set up as, my turn to be shocked. My God, Nort did something cool. It's like, no, we're only talking about the Alan Scott part. <laughs> Who the hell cares about Nort? And then Hal's like, you know, the entire Justice Society's back, and they've already been doing a lot of good. But that's a story for another day. But it's not enough. But it's not a promo for another day because because right underneath asterisk Justice Society of America every month. <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, so John goes, you, know, you, have, you have a hand in everything, don't you, Hal? An answer for everything. You're dying to tell me how I should handle the mosaic. And Hal counters is like, you're dying, and you're dying to tell Rose just what she should do. Maybe, but maybe you don't have, you know, you don't want to give me the chance. And the Rose stuff, you know, besides mosaic, it certainly refers to the Hal series, the new, you know, the Green Lantern series, volume three. Uh, so John flies off and goes, I want to give you, I want to give you every chance, Hal, every chance to see and hear what my world is like. Rose is expecting me. We'll talk it out over coffee. And Hal goes, fine, just as long as we remember what we saw here in the book. Remember that we're Green Lanterns, and for all our differences, that makes us one. And more promos. To see Hal and John talk it out over coffee. <clears throat> Pick up Green Lantern Mosaic number five. So, so what was that, like four issues of Mosaic they pushed in one comic? 
two through five. Yeah. Yeah. Two, three, four, yeah. five. And, and for more on the Green Lantern Corps, including a Charlie Vicker or whatever happened to, look us up in just 12 little weeks. I think it's kind of odd that Hal has zero reaction to learning that there was another human Green Lantern even before Alan. <laughs> like yeah, you could have, you could have given us a panel of him reacting. <laughs> I know because in a way, the one thing that's been a constant addition or retcon in Green Lantern history is every time we think, every time we think, whether it's related to Alan Scott or whether it's related to Hal, every time we think we know who the first Green Lantern. First human to wear a Green Lantern ring of any kind was. We always find out there's eight has eight hundred different characters that had a version of a ring before. <laughs> Oops, but it's it's okay. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, it reminds me of. Uh, I said this a long, long time ago on the podcast. I'm talking like before you and I took over. I said a long time ago. I read a Green Lantern story, and I can't remember where it was. That Green Lantern, like, the Guardians intentionally never picked anyone from Earth for one reason or another. Like, they thought they were too backwards or something like that. There was some Green Lantern story somewhere that had established that uh, the reason how was the first human Green Lantern, official human Green Lantern, in terms of, like, wearing a ring, uh, not including Alan, um, was that... The Guardians intentionally avoided sending rings to Earth because uh, we were backwards, or you know something, something to that effect. I can't remember for the life of me where that was, but I know I read it somewhere. And the reason I bring it up now is because I remember like Jim or Dan, one of the two, had said something like, uh, "I think you're crazy." Basically, like that that has never happened once. But I swear to you, I remember reading or watching or hearing this story somewhere. Like, it it could have been uh, a graphic audio production or something, which I doubt because I've listened to that a billion times. Uh, it could be a, a novel. It could be on one of the animated series. It could be, like, I don't remember where, but there is a Green Lantern story out there somewhere that says that they intentionally avoided recruiting Green Lanterns from Earth. I just, I can't remember it. And the reason I bring it up is because we keep learning about these other Green Lanterns from Earth, and it just drives me nuts because I swear to you, I remember this story. So if anybody out there listening now remembers this, please write in lanterncast at gmail.com and tell me. Because I can't for the life of me remember it, and there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to go through every issue of Green Lantern and every piece of comics history that I own on Green Lantern and be able to tell you where it was. <laughs> And you're right about Remus there. He was that you got that exactly right. Awesome. Yeah, he got that's how he that's how he <clears throat> that's how he died with Des Despotellus. So Yeah. Some good stories. Uh, not a lot of impact though in any of them, uh, other than uh, I guess the ramifications of there being another Earth Green Lantern. Uh, I do want to say, even though there's no real ramifications to any of these, I think that it's all, what what uh, what's cool is seeing the Golden Age Green Lantern go up against the Silver Age villain. Yeah, I thought that was that definitely was the highlight of the uh, the highlight of the issue. I think. The art definitely wasn't top-notch, at least in terms of my particular tastes, um, but I thought it was pretty good in terms of concept. I agree. All right, anything else you want to say about this particular issue? 
it's a little bit of a lackluster issue outside of the Allen thing. Yeah, I'd say so. But I mean, but it, it it was a nice read. It was a quick read. There were some amusing and interesting parts in the. But whenever you get, whenever you have a, a you know, a kind of like an episodic, a, a compilation, you know, an anthology kind of style of a book, you know, you're gonna, it's almost, you know, predetermined. You're gonna have some stories that are not gonna be, that are gonna have much. They're not gonna all stories basically are not gonna appeal to everyone. That's probably the best blanket to wrap everything in. That some stories are gonna appeal to you, and some individuals more, and some, and some are literally probably just gonna be hit or miss. That almost everybody will gravitate towards certain stories and you might have a small band of interest in the others and yeah i mean it's it wasn't horrible there were some interesting things in it so do you think we do you think we should take these uh with a little more research before we do them and i have no problem discussing this on air um like you know how it keeps name dropping all these various issues do you think we should go and read some of these issues before we talk about it (sighs) I thought you were going feel, more feel, more along the lines of the characters. And no, stuff. no, just because it keeps name dropping certain. Like for instance, when it says that that Dark Stars reference, it's ish, it's referencing an issue that's not already out. But when it talks about picking up plot points from other stories, do you think we should read those before we go into this, or do you think that's just? I mean, honestly, I, I'm kind of worried that this, that's just too much to do for one issue. Yeah, I think I think that I don't think we really need to do that. Okay. Um, Unless we're completely lost. And yeah, yeah. Say, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think in a lot of ways, what, certainly what we've seen through the first two issues of the quarterly is it's you know it's designed to draw in new readers and it's designed to get new readers for dif- for the other books. What it's it's trying to be like a unifying force that if you're reading Mosaic, you might be interested in reading the Green Lantern Quarterly. If you're reading Hal's book. All these things, even Justice Society. If you're reading Alan, you might want something a, a big, you know, a big tent that draws everything in. And then once they draw you in, they try to steer you off to, to try to make it like give you added incentive, if you will, to go read or inve- take a look at some of the other Lantern books that yeah. are being that are published at the same time. So it's, I think we, I think we both kind of think it's a little like over the top or a little heavy-handed in the, in the way that they've been doing it, especially having read the last two issues. And I like to think maybe somewhere as the series goes on towards its con- ultimate conclusion that it, it's not going to be as um, over-the-top or heavy-handed, but I don't know if I have a lot of faith that's going to be the case. Uh-huh. All right. Well, you want to close us out? I will close us out. Uh if you want to like to contact us, please email us, lanterncast at gmail.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. Visit our website, lanterncast.com. Uh, get some get our latest news, get our Ring Cyclopedia episodes. Uh, we've been posting some – actually, we posted the first of the, the of the intro. It was the, it was the intro to the Dark Star review section, right, at mm-hmm. the moment? Yeah. So we're going to be having some you know review, other, other, if you will, lantern – ask you know books uh, will tie into other lantern ask concepts and just as mentioned in this in this green lantern core quarterly the dark star is basically where the controllers version of the green lantern core uh ill-fated as it was much like the controllers themselves <laughs> but still but you can so check out our website you can follow us on twitter 
Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, use hashtag GLCast to find us on all of them. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. And feel free to leave us positive reviews on one or both. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, and we haven't had one in a while, call us at 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. Yeah, we haven't had an email or a voicemail in a while. I know. we've been. We're, it, it's pretty dry lately, so. Yeah. So. All right. Well, uh, before we close out, guys, don't forget, Lantern Cast, uh, not Lantern Cast, Green Lantern 75th anniversary still going on right now. Uh, as of right now, you know all the all everything we're releasing uh, is is going to bear the the Green Lantern 75th anniversary uh, hashtag, which is GL75TH GL75th uh, hashtag across the board. Whether it's a simple issue review like this, which we explained why it uh, is is part of this crossover, this this big uh, celebration. Or it'll be a bigger uh, thing, like when we were, when we covered uh, just last episode, uh, when we covered uh, Emerald Knights. Uh, coming up in the future, I will not give a specific date, but coming up in the future, we will be doing the Power of Ion, the not the twelve issue crappy Kyle Rayner thing. Uh, we're talking the first appearance of Ion. Thank God for finally doing it. <laughs> and um, hey. Interview slash conversation with uh, someone important and connected to Green Lantern's history. How's that? <laughs> All right, guys. So um, we uh, again uh, Green Lantern seventy fifth anniversary, uh, especially on Twitter. Uh, the other posters have been very active over on Twitter. So make sure you search the hashtag again GL seventy fifth, and you will find all kinds of cool cool stuff. Oh, and before we go. Uh, it, uh, we've uh, it, uh, DC has put out a logo for Green Lantern 75th, and they're doing a, a collection of Green Lantern stories that they'll be selling as well. Um, and we've talked about that in, that in the past, but uh, they've also come out, and they're going to be doing a Green Lantern 75th anniversary variant month, uh, month of September, right? Yes, I, be- I believe that is correct. Okay, so every single comic that's coming out from DC in their main lineup is going to feature a variant cover that features Green Lantern on it, and some of them look really cool. Uh, so definitely, definitely, definitely check those out. We have a, a link to some of those images over on our Facebook page, uh, so find us on Facebook and you'll be able to find that there, or you can just do a Google search for Green Lantern 75th variant covers or something like that. <laughs> Nicely put. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.